It is 11.08 and it's time for the final chat to Dr. Mone Mostert, Director at the Institute for Futures Research <clears throat> at Stellenbosch University. And uh, got to say, Mone, you've been with me for, you know, some time. It hasn't been years, but it's been absolutely phenomenal and always great chatting to you. And they, these conversations, of course, will continue offline. Um, so people can just sort of watch out for that. But let's talk about what you're going to be discussing today. Innovation sense making. We'll look at, you know, all that this means and how to actually make it effective in practice. And yeah, let me ask you a nonsensical question. What is sense making? Oops. Yeah, oh. that, that's that's really a great first question, you know, the definitional question. What are we talking about here? Yeah. Um, and and really it's the i mean you and i have been spending months now trying to uh, look at all these various aspects um, on innovation and sense making is really the art of putting it all together it's um it's about creating um creating if you wanted the technical definition it's it's really about how we give meaning to our kind of collective experience so we we experience life forward Difficult to do it any other way. Yeah. And then we kind of look back and we say, well, okay, what was this, right? As you might mm. think on the morning after your divorce or something like that. <laughs> what happened here? What was this? How do I create meaningfulness? It's a, it's a, one way to think about it is it's a, it's a kind of ongoing retrospective development. You're, you're creating some sort of image or meaning where you try and rationalize what's going on here. You're trying to get a feeling or a notion of reality. It's really a kind of grasping at reality. And that's why it's a very, very important psychological process. Otherwise, you feel that you are just float in the universe. You're a little yep. uh, tiny ship at sea. You're, you're at the mercy of the world. So sense-making creates a structure for you um, that you can use as a framework to engage with the world around you. Now, when we make sense of things, generally speaking, I would imagine that centers around understanding people at its core, because most of what you do is providing services to other businesses, let's say, run by people, human beings who make decisions. You provide B2C services or products that human beings have to buy and if things go south um one has to make sense as to why they went south what those experiences have been with your business and then finding innovative ways of getting out of that or improving it yes indeed i mean the interesting way to respond to that is to think about the language of sense making you are making the sense the sense does not exist yeah, I mean, this is not sort of Nietzsche nihilism. There's no point to it all, but it's um, it, it, it's the idea that sense is something that has to be made. It has to be created. It's easy to prove this. Competitors make sense of the world in different ways, in with the same customer in the same industry. Two competitors make sense in different ways of that world. And you're absolutely right that it starts with understanding. And that means that sense-making has a lot to do with learning. And that requires humility. So mm. sense-making is not the 
been the same as sense giving. Sense giving is, yes. you know, Julius Malema on a stage. He's giving us the sense that he has made of the world around him. And he's trying to, like all politicians, I'm not picking on him, but all politicians are trying to give us a sense so that we can mm. use their sense to make our own sense. So sense-making requires an individualistic uh, perspective, or at least it's also useful doing it with others, but then an independent mind, sometimes referred to as a beginner's mind, a humble mind, a student's mind, mm. the willingness to learn, to understand, and then to make the sense. In other words, don't arrive with the sense pre-made. Sense-making is not a prefabrication process. It's in fact, the conversations you and I have been having, mm. the style of those conversations, um, which and I do feel betrayed because you've also done it with others, but um, the <laughs> style of those conversations are actually sense-making conversations. They, we don't arrive with a predefined speech. We create connections as we go along with a humble mind, willing to learn, and then a sense emerges because we're making conditions that were not connected before. Okay, I mean, listen, as far as oxymorons go, Julius Malema yeah. and sense and politicians and sense, I mean, that's the height, right? We've reached the pinnacle. Um, but so, so just listening to what you're saying then, if one then needs to say, hold on, making sense needs, you need some type of structure to make sense yeah, of something, yeah. right? What is that structure? Yeah. I always because I'm a fanboy of it, um, go back to design thinking and going, but actually that is your ultimate sense-making tool because you arrive there, hopefully, or you, maybe you had preconceived ideas, but very quickly you'll learn that those preconceived ideas must please be left at the door because yes. phase one is all about listening, all about yeah. immersion, all about understanding before you create points of view and you move on to um, you know, your, your solutions phases. That's exactly right. So we, we all have different methodologies for making sense. Some of us just do it, let's say, from your religious perspective. Some of us do it from a political or other ideological perspective. And in other words, we very often arrive with kind of prepackaged ideas. There's very good reason we do that, because the world is so overwhelmingly complex that you can't walk into a room and, you know, every time wonder what thing you're going to sit on. You just go, I'm going to choose the chair. That, I just, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And then I can spend my time thinking about greater things than where do I sit. So we all have kind of prepackaged ideas, but you're absolutely right that this open-mindedness is essential. And there are various methods, you know, various kind of scientific methods um, that may also help you. I mean, scientific methods are, are really kind of structured methods. That's the important thing. You, you're so right to highlight the structure because in the scientific community, that's one of the principles towards reaching defensible conclusions. That's so important, to have those conclusions defensible. The reason that's important is you, you'll eventually invest money here. So those conclusions have to be absolutely defensible and so a structured method of inquiry as we say in academic research is a very important part here so what's your method i think the question you're posing is is a really critical one and and you know design thinking has, has emerged as one of those practical yep. structured methods of interrogating the world 
in order to arrive at a process of making sense, which is so different from arriving with the sense in your pocket. Well, exactly. I mean, it's uh, c- companies like Google, I think HP, there are a couple of businesses who use that. I know Google actively uses it. Um, yeah. But it's not the only thing, as you say, Morning. But what's, so, so when we talk about sense making, right, what yeah. is the link between that and innovation then? Right. So one of the possible links is where are you going to spend your innovation energy? How are you going to create um, a sort of opportunity for innovation? Because you can do random innovation. I mean, you can create triangular doors and, you know, windows made of brick, but there's just not going to be a market for that. So yep. one of the critical values of sense-making is it's about investment decision. It's about where your money goes, and it's about, um, it's about where your energy and your effort goes, and it's a principle for how you then construct those ecosystems. We've, we've spoken a lot about the construction of ecosystems yep. on your show, and sense-making is a way of deciding how you will design that ecosystem, because that ecosystem is is not just a random connection. There will be incidental things, yes. but it's not just, a, you know, we've spoken about connections, but it's not anything goes. It's, as you say, a structured way of doing it. What you're really trying to do um, is you're trying to kind of connect with, let's say, the target system. So so let, let's say your your system is your local community, uh, or let's say you want to look at a system, you want to look at, you know, I don't know, uh, in food, you want to look at vegetables, or you want to look at bread, or, or you want to look at, you know, data access, or you want to look at politics, whatever system it is that you want to look at. You want to think carefully about how can you, in a humble way, um, with that open-mindedness that you mentioned, approach that target system. And then how can you understand the internal logic of the system that you're targeting? Does that make sense? So if I want to start an executive development company in France, well, it's not enough for me to understand that I know what I'm doing. Exactly. I need a humble appreciation of the internal logic of the system that I'm targeting. So, and that's true for any customer whether you're an insurance, massive insurance company, or you're just an entrepreneur starting out, how can you have an appreciative approach to the system that you're targeting and get to understand the logic of that system before you try to enforce your own logic on a system that you don't understand? It's it's the bedrock of of strategy development then, isn't it? Because if if, if I ask you, what is better, a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW? Now, what would you say? <laughs> well, there's, there's no doubt that the answer is Porsche. <laughs> there's no doubt that the answer is all three because um, for people, the, you know, the Mercedes-Benz, BMW, or if you take a little um, Nissan Micra versus a Mercedes-Benz, which one's better? Um, yeah. It's better for the market that it targets. Yeah. Neither is better. Yeah. Yeah. Certain people, right. certain mindsets go for, and that is why when you when you develop strategy, it's about what you're not going to do, who you're not going to focus on, and how you best differentiate yourself within your highly targeted market that you're going after. Yeah, that deselection that you mentioned is is absolutely critical, um, and you know, not not trying to be um, sort of all things to all people. 
Um, yeah. And so uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's almost like the debate between, uh, you know, who's smarter, a cat or a dog? Um, by the way, it's my dog's birthday today. So happy, happy birthday, birthday to Murphy. Uh, to, he can't to Murphy. Sense, but at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we called him Murphy because he was born in lockdown and I named him after the famous law. Um, <laughs> but who's smarter, cats or dogs? Um, well, you know, the point is that a dog really sucks at being a cat. And so, so you, you can't use the frame uh, of a canine to evaluate a feline in the same way that you can't use the frame of a service provider uh, to evaluate, let's say, uh, a target system or a target customer very specifically. And, and that, that humility, and, and what you're then trying to do is, is to create almost the architecture of what you're learning. It is, I'm using lots of technical language perhaps in today's show, but it, it's what we call constructivistic. You, you build it as you go along. You build the sense as you go along. So different from arriving with the prefab sense making. You will get to the prefab once you've made the sense, right? Exactly. So once you've made the sense, now you have options for engaging with that target system in a meaningful way. Then starts the hard work, as we said last week, of actually making something of value, a concept, an approach, a philosophy, a product, a service design. Mm. And once you've done that, well, absolutely now you have to have some confidence that this thing is going to be useful in the system that you're targeting. So without the sense-making, you're really just a gambler. You're just sitting at the roulette table, and you're, you're putting it all on red, and you're hoping for the best because red is your favorite color, and you know yourself. Well, that doesn't help you. Exactly. But, I mean, uh, you know, we, 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 we speak about sense-making. There's no better time to make sense than the present, the, the present and also the immediate past. I mean, we can't go and make – we can make sense of the immediate past in our present. Yes, we can. But especially the lockdown that has been one of the greatest levelers unless you had a wonderful balance sheet. Yeah. With a lot of cash you could extract out of it. Um, yeah. You know, it is the greatest level, and one needs to make sense of your position in the world in relation to your core target, whoever it be, customer uh, within yeah. that particular framework. I think that's exactly right. And, and in, in times of crisis, um, we, we, can, we can see who's got those skills, and of course, sense making becomes increasingly important. And part of that sense-making process in a time of crisis is this kind of continuous, iterative sense-making. Because things are changing at such a rapid rate that, you know, it was would have been pointless to make sense of the world in March last year um, mm. you know, when things are changing uh, so dramatically rapidly. And so these skills uh, of making sense, it's almost like the – it's almost like reading who done it. And yep. – and you, you, you're gradually kind of gathering the evidence and making the connections and building the sense. And of course, you know, it's, it's, it's great to do that in a community, like in a company or in a, in a group of, of associates, entrepreneurs starting out uh, with the same thing. And part of that includes the contestation of ideas. Yes. And the fact that you want uh, this is what we've often called on the show, these multiple partial views, many views that all relate to a part that contribute to a holistic way of making sense. In that way, you're reducing the risk. Mm. So when it comes to investing real money into real product and service development here, 
um, you've uh, you've cut down dramatically. And um, I, I think when when kind of VCs, when capitalist uh, companies, you know, listen yep. to your pitch, um, they often challenge the sense making, and they would say, you know, I mean, the practical thing, they would say, what what about this? And in other words, they would point out a connection to you that you may not have considered in your own sense-making, perhaps because that sense-making was too insular, mm. but wasn't connected uh, to the context in a, in a respectful way. Spot on. And uh, I'm going to open up the lines to you. Um, you know, we're having this liquor discussion around innovation and sense-making. But I think stories help us make sense as well, Please. other people's experiences. So if you want to share some stories today about your business – we heard Gary from Century City Convention Center and Hotel, the uh, CEO, talking about the sense that they were trying to make over March and no foreign tourists, etc. And <clears throat> I remember having that initial discussion with him and telling him, no, I man, you must go digital. And, then, and he mentioned it. He was quite against it at the time. And he says, no, 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 no. This is what we're here for. Conferences is where people have to come together. And But they eventually went that way. And yeah. it's proven to be very valuable for the organization, yeah. not just in the present. And, of course, I think one needs to market that sort of thing a lot more vigorously, but also yeah. in the future because now you have hybrid models that can bring down, if you, if you, if you, if you have scale, right, yeah. you can bring down overall cost and provide better value for people. The same way with education. Why yeah. is it that Udemy can, you know, you pay two ninety nine? Let's do it. It's not dollars, rands, 180 rand to learn a full course of 40 hours on everything about coding in Python. Staggering, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Because, I mean, if I, if I, if I went to, and I won't mention universities here because I'm involved in one, so is Mornay. So I won't say universities and their costs. But, um, or did I just? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's this, this liberalization of education which also yeah. has to have universities, university professors and deans and vice chancellors thinking about how they have to now make sense of the world of education as it relates to what businesses really need as well. Yes. I mean, I, I think you're so right as we emerge uh, out of the crisis. At the early stages, it was really about business continuity, whether it's universities or any other business. Um, and as the crisis is extending um, the need for making sense, including, as you said, of alternative yeah. futures is absolutely critical and, and, and will, I think, um, spur an incredible innovation. We can, If you just look at innovation uh, that occurred after the uh, global financial crisis, for example, 2008-2009, you look at so many of the companies that we have today that yeah. are second nature, they live in our pockets, so many of those were spawned in the in the three or four years after that crisis. And I think we're going to see exactly the same thing happening now, including in the higher education sector, where I think we can expect a diversity, a spectrum of different universities emerging as a result of this. Um, and then the importance of telling that story for the mm. future, as you say. Exactly. And, and, you know, we always think about telling the story of a few futures, more than one future. Uh, multiple futures, as we always say. And one of those stories is the current future. So keep going like this and what happens. Yeah, um, exactly. So, you know, 
you know, you, you, you were in matric last year sitting in your room. Now you're a first year sitting in your room. Let's imagine that's the current future. You can see no one's going to take that, right? Um, it's just yep. no human being is going to want to live like that. So that's the current future playing out. And you can see that actually that's improbable, which is why we're saying it's not the new normal. Indeed. So then you have to think, well, what are the alternative futures then? And mm-hmm. in the two pra- very practical ways of thinking about that is to think about, um, uh, about preferred futures. In other words, the kind of future that you want. No one wants a future like that. So that already tells you that's probably not going to happen. And then what we call explorative futures. What else could happen? So if you were starting a university today, yeah. You know, and thinking of the new entrance, the beginner's mind, the student's mind, again, the humble entrance. The reason for that is it helps you to think about the, the new entrance mind, the new competitor's mind, mm. and how they might be cleaning up uh, if, if they were to come in right now. So yeah. these things sound very uh, conceptual, but actually they have a, an enormous amount of strategic value. And something tells me, I'm trying to make sense of, 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 of some of this profound information that I'm hearing at the moment. Um, yeah. and Dr. Mornay Mostert, of course, something tells me he happens to be the director at the Institute for Futures <laughs> Research at Stellenbosch University. On capetalk.co.za. On the app. On DSTV channel 885. And across the city on 567 AM. Join the conversation. This is Cape Talk. And a very good morning to you as we wrap with Dr. Mornay Mostert for the final time. Um, and we are chatting innovation, chatting sense-making as it relates to innovation. And, you know, obviously making this as accessible as possible. Because it's, it's, it's one thing to talk about the high-level stuff, but how do you actually implement it right? So we talk about the connection between innovation and sense-making. But when you're running a business... What is it that you need to be cognizant of? What are the things that you need to do in order to make sure that the sense-making can actually work for your business, work for your particular environment in which you operate more? And it's always, you know, at the end of the day, it, 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 it comes down to accessibility and getting people to do the right things. Let's see. Are you there? Okay, we seem to have a problem. Dr. Mornay Mostert, we're going to try. Are you there? Ah, there we go. Now we can hear you. Wonderful stuff. Okay. Didn't so, make any sense there. <laughs> no, uh, no, exactly. There was nothing in a bit of uh, what I said in any case. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so let's talk about that, Mornay. I mean, what, what are the yeah. other key aspects of, of innovation and sense-making that, 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 that we need to be cognizant of? I, I would say if you're, a, if you're an entrepreneur, or you're just starting out, or you're thinking about um, going into business for yourself, um, you know, the question is how much time are you willing to give to this? And, and one of the mistakes that so many entrepreneurs make is that they spend uh, so much time on the benefits and features of something they're designing. I've certainly made that mistake in, in my own career. Um, you know, to the point that you start showing it to people who think like you, look like you, sound like you, and everybody loves it, um, including friends, fools, and family. <laughs> and then you take it to market. And, um, and it's a dead duck. It's, it's, it's lead balloon stuff. And now, now you've put in all that work. Uh, you've made all that investment. 
Um, everyone that you've spoken to uh, thinks it's an amazing idea. Everyone except the person who's supposed to buy it. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I would, you have to find a way of making sense of the world of the target audience, the target system, the target population. Yeah. If you're in a big business, you know, you're, you're, you're decades old, mm. you know, then, then I would say that one of the traps that you have is that you have to understand the whole world is kind of structured against change, despite what everyone tells you, because, of course, there are standard operating procedures. So you now have to make practical time you have to put in your diary, in your Outlook diary, Thursday, two to three, making sense of it all. Mm. And that means that you need to talk to people in that session who are not like you, people who are not in your team, people who don't even work in your business, yeah. but people who, who buy this thing. And when you think about a lot of corporate models, who are the people that have the most contact to the, with the customer? It is very often, not always, but often, the least experienced, lowest paid people in the enterprise that has the Correct. most, that have the most extensive, most intimate, most frequent contact with the customer. Yep. Now, where does that information go while the management are meeting on the long haired office on the top floor, <laughs> you know, trying to make sense of it all. So, so who's in that meeting is really, really important. And, and in alternative versions of design thinking, for example, that you're quoting, you're trying to create a mix in that audience with new customers, with people who are not yet customers, with people who used to be customers, with people who work with customers at various levels of seniority. That's very, very different from thinking, well, I've worked here for so long, I think I know what we're doing. It doesn't mean that you're wrong, but it is a risk mitigation exercise to engage practically in the process of sense making. Now, I know it might feel strange, you're 25 years old, you know, you, you, want, you have this idea, you want to start this business, some guy says, you know, how about sense making? Well, I'll tell you, invite people to a coffee shop, buy them coffee and a muffin and, and prepare what you want to ask them. Ask them some really hardcore questions. Where's the pain? How long have you had it? Who's tried to alleviate that pain? Mm. What are they struggling to do? Now you're beginning to make sense of the target system, the system you're trying to influence in the first place. And that reduces the run-up time to the launch of your new product, and it reduces the risk of all the investments you're going to make. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Mornay, I mean, that is, you know, pretty much where I want to, where we can leave this particular discussion. But you've also been doing some, you've been working pretty hard on a particular project when it comes to, uh, explain that to me. I saw it online. Um, I was trying to figure out exactly what it is, but yeah. <laughs> it sounds fascinating. Um, it certainly sounds something very close to sense-making. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and I, I think you, you might be referring to a, a pet project on um, a very ambitious one in trying to encode um, the human phenomenon of mindsets and trying to create an index of a variety of mindsets, and that includes things like paradigms and a whole other host of uh, issues that inform mindsets. I'm fascinated by the idea that just the word mindset intrigues me in, in two key ways. One, that the mind has already set, like a jelly or like cement, 
And two, that, mm. that concepts come in sets. They sit together. You know, when you think of Kino or you think of innovation or you think of whatever it is, it's not just one idea. It's a set of ideas. And so what I'm trying to do is to encode the world of mindsets. I think it has massive implications for globalization, for companies coming from Europe, launching into Africa, the enormous risk they face as they're doing that. And if we can encode some of those mindsets, I think we can reduce the risk, increase the probability of success. The mindset index is what I'm working on. Absolutely. And um, I reckon I can say this, but, um, you know, while this is the last time I'm chatting to, uh, I mean, an awesome human being, Dr. Monet Morstadt, on air, it's not the last time. Um, I'll, we'll, I'll make some announcements at some stage, probably on my LinkedIn. But uh, Monet and myself will be working, if I may say so, Monet, um, looking to work with some businesses around um, uh, things such as innovation, mindsets, and, and getting it right and being the people that can help structure um, the, 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 the type of processes that you need to deliver better innovation. So, but we'll, You may indeed, you know, thank and, you. And, and, and an honor it is. Absolutely, sir. It's going to be an honor working with you further, um, you know, after this particular journey. Um, but I mean, you can follow him. More name, Mostert. Uh, you know, I'm not going to explain how that works. <laughs> you can, you know, you look, you're South African. You know how to spell Mona. You know how to spell Mostert. I'm obviously Kino Cummings, K-I-E-N-O. I need a bit of, uh, because people spell my name weirdly. K-I-E-N-O-K-A-M-M-I-E-S. You can always follow on LinkedIn and stuff. But, um, but Mona, we also have a song. We do, Kino. Now, this um, song of the show, um, tragically the last one we have with you, um, by Madeline Edwards. You should do, you should listen for all the, the language here. It's, it's, she talks about this idea of being jaded, you know, starting off jaded. Mm. And, and, and being jaded means you're not open to new ideas. Mm. And then you should listen for how she talks about how everything is so complicated. And then she, this idea that she feels like a kid again, that's the beginner's mind. Mm. Um, and then, um, you know, she talks about the head and the heart and, and how the emotions mess with the intellect. And she's wondering about what's even real. This is a song uh, by Madeline Edwards, and it's called Trying to Make Sense of It All. Ladies and gentlemen, and that was our favorite, most highly ranked when I, to, when I talk about educational qualifications, because I don't think I've ever heard of Dr. DJ. Um, so I want you to do that introduction again, Mornay, saying, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Madeline Edwards. Come on, go <laughs> for it. the keynote coming show on innovation. We're going to listen to Madeline Edwards, who's trying to make sense of it all. The voice, Dr. Mornay Mostert. <laughs> Hit it, Joe. <laughs> Mornay, you must have a good one. Thanks, kiddo. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. There you go. Honestly, it's been a while since I thought about it. And now here I am, feeling just like a kid again. Texting you till the wee hours of the morning. I know it started off kind of jaded. And I know your friends think this is so
downtown and think about all the roads that we haven't been down yet. And try to figure out in my head all these feelings that I have, but I don't know what to do about it. Promise myself I wouldn't tell you unless I knew for sure. But with these days that passes, I just end up wanting you more and more. Oh, I'm trying to make sense of it all. Trying to make sense of it all. 